Welcome to the Valley Point Podcast in the series, Seeing Through the Fog. Today, our big idea is why doesn't have to be the end, even when it looks bad. We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 4. Enjoy, and thanks for listening. The scene is one that is captivating, and immediately you're pulled in, and you're ready to watch all of the action. You're captured, and that's what a great story does. And today, we've got a great story straight out of Scripture. And so, join me, and let's imagine. Imagine that you're in a movie theater, and you are ready. This is a movie that you have wanted to see. And so, the lights go dim, and you sink down into your chair, and you kind of put your head back, because you are ready just to watch this great movie. The movie begins, and immediately you know that this is going to be an epic battle between good and evil, between the good guys and the bad guys. And you love these kinds of movies, so you're really excited about what is going to happen. On one side of the river, it's the good guys, and that's where they're camped. And they look pristine and sharp, but they're focused and ready for battle. The camera then takes you over the river and through the woods, but this is no trip to grandma's house because over there, it's the bad guys. And they're ugly and mean and vicious, but they're focused and they're ready for battle. The fog has settled in the woods. There's no butterflies dancing. There's no animals frolicking. They're all hiding because they know what is about to go down. And then the camera kind of pans out, and you see everything. You've got the good guys on one side of the river, and the good guys, by the way, are the Israelites. It's God's people, and they love God, and they do their best to honor Him, and that's why they're the good guys. And then over the river and through the woods are the bad guys. It's the Philistines, the enemies of God's people, and they hate God and everything that he stands for. And you know, you just know, as this begins to unfold, that this is going to be a classic battle. And then you see it. A great big open field. And you know, terrible things are going to happen on that battlefield very quickly. At the crack of dawn, the warriors are assembled and they're facing each other and they're waiting for someone to make a move. And there's horses and guys with blue paint on their faces and hair that hasn't been washed in months and there's somebody wearing a kilt because you know in scenes like this, there's always somebody with a kilt and they're there and then finally somebody makes a move and they begin to rush towards each other and there is a clash of humanity. What you see and what you observe is so intense and so brutal that you actually look away for a few moments because it's just too grotesque. It's too much. The scene ends and you look up at the screen and there are thousands of dead bodies. 4,000 to be exact. 
And as the camera zooms in, you realize something that disturbs you a little bit. Because the warriors that are laying face down in the mud on this battlefield are the good guys. They're the ones that have been killed. They're the ones that have been defeated. The good guys lost. And you think somebody got the script wrong because the good guys always win. That's just the way it works. Except for when it doesn't. The scene changes again and takes you into the two camps. And on one side of the river, you have the Philistines, the enemy of God and the enemy of God's people, and they are rejoicing and they are laughing and drinking and eating and dancing and shouting because they won. They won. They defeated their enemy, and they're pretty happy about that. And then over the river and through the woods is the Israelite camp. And there is weeping and wailing because that's their boys out there. That's their sons and brothers and fathers and friends. And their lives have been taken from them and they will never see them again. And it's not a great scene in the Israelite camp. The camera done, does something kind of interesting at that point. It takes you to a small little tent in the Israelite camp. And you get the chance to hear what's going on inside of the tent. And it's the generals and it's the elders of Israel. And they have gathered and angry words are being exchanged. And fingers are being pointed and questions are being asked. Like what happened today and how can we avoid that tomorrow? And that's where we pick up story. If you have a Bible or a device, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 4. And here is what we discover right away in verse 3. It says this, after the battle was over, the troops retreated to their camp. And the elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? Why? 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 It's the fog of why. Have you ever been there? Is that a question you've ever asked? Or maybe you would say that actually describes the story of your life. Why? Why loss? Why death? Why separation? Why financial pressure? Why no job? Why no peace in my family? Why? And I'm on God's side. I like God. I enjoy Him. I'm trying to live my life for Him. But why? And there is just a deep fog that settles in. Have you ever been there? Back to the story. As you watch, you begin to think, well, I know what's going to happen here. We've seen this before. This is like a great twist in the plot. And so it makes the movie kind of fun and interesting. But we know what's going to happen. The good guys lose at first, but they're going to make a comeback at some point. This is every Rocky movie, right? If he just stays on his feet long enough and makes it into the final rounds, there will be a victory for the good guys, and that is going to happen. We know that. The camera takes us back into the tent, and there the elders are having discussions, and they're throwing out ideas about what they can do better in the morning. 
One elder says, hey, why don't we do this? Let's try the Napoleon thing. We'll surprise them. And they won't know what's coming. And we'll put this big plan together. And they'll have no idea what hit them. And then we can win. To which another elder says, who's Napoleon? Oh, yeah. Okay. So then another elder says, hey, how about we do this? Let's build a great big giant horse and we'll put our soldiers inside of the horse and we'll wheel that into the Philistine camp and then when they're asleep at night, we'll come out and then we'll win and we will destroy them. And one of the elders kind of scratches his head and responds, yeah, that's the worst idea ever. It'll never work. (laughs) So all of these ideas begin to fly, but nothing sticks. Nothing sticks until the camera once again zooms in on one of the oldest elders. Scars on his face from previous battles. Deep, deep lines from many conversations like this. And he leans forward and it's at that time that you begin to think in your mind, Oh, he's going to talk. That guy, we've been waiting for him to say something and all of these ideas have been flying and he's been silent, but finally he's going to talk. And as he leans in with the scars and the deep lines, all of the other elders lean in as well. And that wise elder says, here's an idea. Let's go and get the box. Let's get the box. And the elders begin to smile and laugh and they agree, yeah, let's get the box. We need the box. That's going to help us. Scripture calls the box the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of God. It was a box that was beautiful and overlaid with gold. And the Israelites carried that around with them because it was a picture and it was a representation of the presence of God. The box was a really big deal. And when they had the box, good things tended to happen for them and to them. And so this elder leans in and says, it's time, it's time, let's go and get the box. The Ark of the Covenant. Let's get God's presence right here. It'll make all the difference in the world. The box was a big deal, but what was inside the box was even a bigger deal. And there were items inside of the box that reminded the Israelites of how God had worked in and through them. What were those items? Well, the Ten Commandments were in the box. The commandments that God wrote himself in stone and gave to them and said, hey, do these things. And the Ten Commandments, they're in the box. It's right there. The other thing that's in the box is A jar of manna, and manna was food that God supplied for his people. One time when they were complaining that they had nothing to eat, God said, I will provide for you, and I'm going to give this to you. And so he rained manna from heaven and said, you go out and you pick up manna that you need for that day. Don't get more than what you need, just get enough for you and your family. And you eat that, and you enjoy that, and know that tomorrow I'm going to send more manna. And then you'll be able to collect it again, only what you need. That's manna. And so in in the box is a container of manna, which showed how God provided and fed his people. The other thing in the box is Aaron's walking stick. Aaron was a priest, 
He was a religious individual that represented the people to God. And he had a walking stick. And that stick really did some crazy things. And so they kept that walking stick, that staff, that rod. And they put it in the box. It's there. And it's a reminder of how God provided spiritual leadership for his people. And so the box is a really big deal. The Ark of the Covenant with the Ten Commandments and the jar of manna and Aaron's staff. It's all there in the box. And the elder says, it's time. It's time. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go and get the box. That's what they do. Here's what verse 3 says. Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it into battle with us, It will save us from our enemies. So they sent men to Shiloh to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were also there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. And so the Ark appears, but it's not just the Ark. It's the future priests that are there. It's Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. They're there. This is really important. The box is there. The future priests are there. When all the Israelites saw the ark of the covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, their shout of joy was so loud, it made the ground shake. Remember over the river and through the woods? We've got the Philistines on the other side. They're all excited because they won. And they say, what's going on? That's what they asked. What's all the shouting about in the Hebrew camp? The Philistines are confused. They shouldn't be shouting at all. They shouldn't be happy at all. We're the ones eating and singing and dancing because we won. They shouldn't be happy. What's going on in the Israelite camp? So they got a couple of guys together. One of the commanders of the Philistine army said, hey, Pauly, Vinny. Because there's a Pauly and a Vinny in every group, isn't there? Pauly and Vinny, come here. We want you to sneak over to the Israelite camp. Something's going on over there, and you need to observe, and you need to see, and then bring us back the information. So Pauly and Vinny, they run over, and they're fast little guys, and they get to a spot where they can see what's happening in the Israelite camp, and they realize, they got the box. And so Pauly and Vinny rush back, and the Philistines surround them, and they ask, what's going on over there? Why are they excited? Why are they laughing? Why are they shouting like that? And Pauly and Vinny are just exhausted, and they finally say, they got the box. They got the box. The Philistines knew what the box meant, and they're not too happy about that. As a matter of fact, here's what verse 6 says. When they were told it was because the ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. The gods have come into their camp, they cried. This is a disaster. We have never had to face anything like this before. Help! Who can save us from these mighty gods of Israel? They are the same gods who destroyed the Egyptians with plagues when Israel was in the wilderness. Great story, isn't it? It's a great story. What happens next? Well, what happens next is the Philistines are really discouraged, and so Philistine Wallace rides in on a horse with that blue paint on his face, and he gives this really inspiring speech. Here's what he says. Fight as never before, Philistines. 
If you don't, we will become the Hebrew slaves just as they have been ours. Stand up like men and fight. So you're watching this great movie. And all of a sudden, on one side, you've got the good guys, and they've got the box, and you know that this is a good thing for them. And on the other side, they get a little frightened and a little disappointed, but Philistine Wallace charges the troops one more time, and they're inspired. And verse 10 says, so the Philistines fought desperately. We know what's going to happen, don't we? And we've seen this movie before. Here's what happens. And Israel was defeated again. The slaughter was great. 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. And the survivors turned and fled to their tents. The ark of God was captured. And Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed. What? Like that actually happened? It did. See, this is no Disney flick. It's not at all. The wrong guys won again, but this time it's not 4,000 guys who are laying face down in the mud. It's 30,000. And in addition to that, Hophni and Phinehas, the future priests, killed. And the Ark of the Covenant carried away by the enemies of God. The wrong guys won. It's about this time as you're watching this in the theater that you say to yourself, or maybe even out loud, I don't like this movie anymore. I want my money back. I want to see something else. This is a ripoff. I don't like this story. Is there more to the story? There actually is. Word gets back to Eli the priest that his two sons have been killed, and the ark has been captured. And he's so devastated by that news, Scripture tells us he falls backwards in his chair, he breaks his neck, and he dies on the spot. So the high priest is gone. The future priests are gone. And in this process, one of Eli's sons had a wife who was pregnant. And when she found out that her husband had been killed in battle, it throws her into premature labor, and she dies. But before she dies, she looks at the people around her and she says, Will you please name this child Ichabod? Which means, where is the glory of God? In other words, God has left the building and we're in trouble. And this is not good. Great story, isn't it? It's kind of a foggy story, actually. And normally we get to a point like this where we would say to the Israelites or we would even say to ourselves or to somebody else who might be walking through the fog of why, we would say, here's what you need to do. Now let's spiritualize this a little bit. If you're in the fog of why and you're wondering about this and it's been a really bad day, if there's death all around you and separation and loss, here's what you need to do. Number one, admit you need God's help. Do that. And then secondly, do spiritual things. We say crazy stuff like this. If you're in the fog of why, just admit that you need God's help. And then begin to do really spiritual things. And at some point, the fog will lift and you'll begin to feel great again. Let's take those two thoughts. 
back through the grid of our story and think about the nation of Israel. First thought, admit that you need God's help. Check. They did that. When 4,000 of their boys died, they desperately needed God and they knew it. There was no question about that. Done. Statement number two, do spiritual things. Check. They did that. They went and they got the box. It was the presence of God with all of the great stuff on the inside. There's nothing more spiritual that they could have done in order to help their situation. Why? Why? The fog of why, and instead of a better day, there is more devastation and more loss. And do you want even more depressing news? Because we love depressing news on Sunday morning, don't we? It takes 20 years for God's people to get the Ark of the Covenant back. 20 years. It's a long time. Let me ask you this. Have you ever asked this question, or have you ever found yourself living in the fog of why? Why God? Why me? We're on the same team. We're on the same side, but yet I'm in this deep, deep fog. Why? And when will it lift? Ever found yourself there? It's taken me a long time to get here, but here's our big idea for today, and that is why doesn't have to be the end even when it looks bad. Okay? Why doesn't have to be the end, even when it looks bad. It looks really bad for Israel right here. And often it looks really, really bad for us, and we begin to ask the why question, and when will the fog lift? And why doesn't have to be the end, even when it looks bad? And what I want to do now is I want to pull some things from our paragraph. And it doesn't necessarily say... But I think these are assumptions that can be made based on what we read in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and then what we read in 1 Samuel chapter 7 where they get the Ark of the Covenant back. And so there are some things that we can pull from that based on what they didn't do and what they did that I think can help all of us as we walk through the fog of why. So here's some takeaways for us. If you find yourself in the fog of why, first of all, remember that God is more than a vending machine. He is, isn't he? God is more than a cosmic vending machine that we push and out comes a Snickers and we feel a lot better about life. God is holy. He is distinct. He is uniquely separate from everyone and everything. There is no one. There is nothing like him. And God demands our reverence and our respect all of the time, even when we're in the fog. And sometimes we forget about that, and we turn, and we move our attention away from God. And God's like, don't do that. Don't do that. Or don't come to me expecting me to be this vending machine that just spits stuff out that makes you feel better. At the start, give me my respect. Give me my reverence, even in the fog. Secondly, in the why... Ask different questions. Instead of, God, can you give me? Because that's what we like to do. We want God to give us stuff so we can feel better and move on. So instead of, God, can you give me? Maybe we should ask, God, can you make me? Can you make me? Can you do something in me? Because uniquely, in the fog, 
When we're really down and hurt and discouraged and we can't find our way out and when we feel ripped off and we want our money back, we often want God to do something to bail us out, but often what God wants to do is something unique inside of us. And that's where it begins. And so, perhaps in that vulnerable place, we need to ask God to do the tough thing in me so that then he can do something through me and for me. So in the fog of why, ask different questions. Ask better questions. And then finally, in the why, walk with God and obey with greater resolve. And often we don't want to do that. And that sounds counterintuitive. We feel ripped off. We want our money back. And so let's walk away from God. And sometimes that actually feels better. But God's like, don't do that. In the fog, as you wait for that to lift, Determined to obey with even greater resolve. I want to say something lovingly as your pastor. And that is, walking away from God never works. It never works. Again, sometimes it makes us feel a bit better, especially when we feel ripped off. But ultimately, it never works, and here's why. If we have trusted in Jesus alone to save us, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. And even if we try to walk away from him, he will never walk away from us. It is absolutely impossible. And so if we attempt to do that, it will only bring a greater level of pain and discomfort in our life because he wants us back. That's what he wants. Walking away from God never works. And so in the fog, in the why, let's just determine and decide that we're going to obey with even greater resolve. Now watch this. I'm going to fast forward to chapter 7. And here's what we discover a few years have passed. And Samuel, the prophet of God, says this. He said to all the people of Israel, If you want to return to the Lord with all your hearts, here's what you got to do. Here's the plan. Get rid of your foreign gods and your images of Ashtoreth. It's interesting, but God's people had this fascination with making idols. And God's like, I don't like that. I'm not a fan of that. As a matter of fact, in the box, in the Ten Commandments, one of them says, stop, don't do that anymore. I want you to worship me and me alone. And so if you want God back, if you want the fog lifted, let's get rid of all of the idols. Now often we don't put physical images up before God, but we have our dreams and our goals and our desires and our people, and often we place them in front of God, and that's the same thing as an idol. Or we say stuff like this, God, I'll be obedient to you if, or God, I'll follow you when. When? The answer to that? Or the answer to if? Those are idols. That's what we put in front of God. God's like, take that stuff down. I don't want that in your life anymore. And then do this, turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. That's what Samuel said to this foggy crowd. Turn your hearts to the Lord and obey him alone. And that phrase means keep directing your hearts to God. Don't direct it to other things. Don't direct it to other places. Keep directing your heart to God and to him alone. And then he will rescue you from the Philistines, which is exactly what happened. The fog of why. Do you find yourself there? 
If not, maybe you've been there in the past. If you're not there now, know that there might be a fog coming at some point, and you want to be prepared and ready to respond to that based on what we find here in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and chapter 7. And that is, why? It doesn't have to be the end, even when it looks bad. Father, we're thankful for this time. And we're thankful for this incredible story tucked away in 1 Samuel. It gives us so many insights into your people and how you work and what you do and what you even say and what you even expect of us and from us. And so, God, I just pray now that as we assimilate this information and really consider this, that you would speak to all of us however you want to, God, we're all here and there are different things that have been happening in our lives. You know our stories. God, there are probably many in the room right now who are walking through a why. And they're in a fog and they can't see their way out of the fog. And they're disturbed and ready to check out and go see a different movie. They want their money back. God, for those who are in the depths of that and are in a tremendous amount of pain, I pray that you'd meet them right here and that they would understand and know that you want them in a desperate kind of way, not to run from you, but to direct their hearts to you. God, for those who are in a fog, and maybe it's not that intense, but there's just something kind of bothering them and they're wondering when you're going to show up and make the day better. God, I pray that you'd help them to obey with even greater resolve right now than what they've ever experienced before, knowing that can make a huge difference. So God, however we're feeling and wherever we are right now when it comes to the fog of why, and whether that's a loss or a death or a separation or financial pressure or some kind of addiction or habit that won't let go and we're in a fog on that, God, I just pray that you'd speak to our hearts and help us now to respond to you in an appropriate way, knowing that why doesn't have to be the end even when we feel bad. So God, again, however we're feeling today, speak to our hearts, challenge us, Encourage us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We'd also love to have you join us on any Sunday morning as well at the Garnet Valley Middle School at 9.15 or 11 a.m.